Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to Perry Noble's Leadership Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We're going to jump into some inter- an, an interesting topic today having to do with change and being uncomfortable. But before we do that, I just want to say we had a great time last week at Unleashed 2010. We had a sold-out house, great teaching, great worship, awesome breakouts. And we just want to say thank you to everybody who joined us here, either here on campus or via the web but we've got, we announced that day something special coming up on September the 16th, New Springs First Leadership Conference. And so, Perry, before we get going, I just wanted you to say a few words about that and why people should come to it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be so much fun because it's um, a wide variety of, of people who are all excellent leaders, but all might have a slightly different philosophy from one another. There's, um, uh, I, I'll be speaking, um, but I'm not excited about that. I'm excited about the other guys. Um, there's Judd Wilhite from Central Christian, uh, who that's an unbelievable church. Um, Pastor Judah Smith from the City Church up in Seattle, and that guy is just an amazing communicator. Um, of course, um, Pastor Mark Driscoll from um, uh, Mars Hill. That I mean, you don't really have to un- like think about where Mark stands on an issue. He's going to bring it. Um, there's uh, Pastor Francis Chan, which every time I hear him speak, I cry about something, and so that's unbelievable. Um, there's there's Pastor Stephen Furtick, who is, un- I mean, just I just love Stephen and the how fresh he brings the message, and so it, it's just it's just going to be a lot of fun to see these guys get up and just preach and bring the Word of God so strongly. And it's a, it's a leadership conference. It's one song and then teaching. We're not going to, it's not going to be a lot of programming or anything like that. It's going to be straight church leadership, visionary stuff, and uh, incredibly focused on Jesus. So I cannot, cannot wait for this event. Man, it is going to be exciting. What I love about it, Perry, is that you've got guys from all over the country, but who have been given great influence. Yes. And so I know that we want to hear from them on how do you steward uh, when you've been when God's given you so much influence. How do you steward that and keep things going in the right direction? So September 16th, mark it down on your calendar, $149 at newspring.cc. Just click on the Leadership Conference button, and it'll give you all the information you need. You need So we want to see you there at that. All right, let's shift gears into what today's topic will be about again. We're going to talk about having to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Two of the main things that churches or organizations experience discomfort with is change, like making changes, and money. So we're going to dive into those two things today for a little bit. But before we share a clip, uh, that we're going to have from Unleashed 2009, where you address those in your talk. I want to just talk about those issues uh, a little bit. Why, Perry, why is the willingness to embrace change or to be comfortable with change so important to a church? I think it's important because it's biblical. Uh, the early church in the book of Acts changed so much. And just to read through the first 15 chapters, you're like, oh my gosh, these people were constantly dealing with change. 
at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, they had 120 people. By the end of Acts chapter 2, they had 3,120. That means they had to change some systems. They had to change some structures. They had to change some organization. I'm sure the org chart looked a lot different. Um, In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says they numbered about 5,000 men. Once again, a scholar say around 15 or 20,000 people, by the time you throw the women and the children's ministry in there, you had to do change. In Acts chapter 5, large amounts of money were being given, so you had to have financial systems, which was a great change because they probably didn't have to deal with that when they had 120 people coming. Um, Acts chapter 6, they had to deal with some serious change when the deacons were selected. And they weren't selected, by the way, to run the church. They were selected to serve the people. Um, Stephen got killed in Acts chapter 7. That brought about a great amount of change. In Acts chapter 8, um, they went multi-site. Uh, because with the persecution, they started preaching the gospel everywhere. In Acts chapter 10, they had to change um, when the Gentiles received Christ, and th- that meant they had to let people in their church that they ordinarily didn't let in their church, like people with tattoos and piercings and things like that. Um, and by Acts chapter 15, they're having to change some ideas they had had about religion. So, so, so many changes had to take place in the early church, and so it's so funny that today we think, um, progress oftentimes is moving backwards slowly, and it's not. It's, it's progress is going forward. And so in order for that to happen, we, we've got to embrace change, even when it means us facing personal um, discomfort with, with those changes. That's really good. Uh, well, what about, before we go any further, because I want to make sure this is real clear, what is something about the church that should never change? The, the, the thing about the church that should never change is the gospel. Um, I was at a conference recently where um, a speaker got up and said, um, I think the gospel's being redefined. And I about crapped my pants because I'm like, no. The, the, Paul pretty much defined the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, the gospel is Jesus crucified, buried, risen, coming again. I mean, that's that's like the gospel. So that never changes. The, I mean, I, it's it's a... I've heard this phrase so often, but it's so true. The message of Jesus Christ never changes. The methods of communicating those that message should often change because um, we don't live any area of our life like we did in the 1950s and 60s except for the way we do church. So that, that's got to change. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I was thinking about that. And, you know, we know that God's Word never changes, and the church to advance has to st- stick close on top of God's Word and put that out in front of everything we do, but things around that need to change, how we do it, like you said, message versus method. But So with that being said, why are so many churches afraid of change? Because we've gotten um, theology and methodology confused. Um, there are some theological things that never change, like the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus, the authority of God's Word. Those things never change. But we've gotten worship styles and worship structure lumped in with... Uh, we've got that methodology lumped in with our theology, and, and, and we're not supposed to do that. There's a difference between theology and methodology. Theology we hold in a closed hand. Methodology we hold in an open hand because... Like my children, here's the deal. I've got a little girl. She's two years old. She's not going to worship Jesus the way I worship Jesus. Um, I pray that Jesus saves her, draws her to himself, and does great things in her life. But the way she and her generation are going to worship the Lord is going to look different than the way I worship the Lord. And as a parent or as a pastor, I can't resist that. I've got to embrace it and allow her generation to stand on my shoulders um, so that that generation can be advanced for the gospel. Well, 
Let's shift gears just for a second and talking about being comfortable with being uncomfortable in regards to the issue of money. Why do you think why do you think this is the number one thing churches struggle with? Money issues. Um money is the number one competitor for a person's heart. Uh, you preach on prayer, you preach on faith, you preach on relationships, and people are going to high-five and amen you, and you can spike your Bible and chest bump your worship leader and run off the stage, and it's unbelievable. But you preach on giving, and people are going to get pissed because it. the Bible says that money is the number one um, competitor with our hearts in regards to um, whether or not Jesus possesses them or not. So I I just say the reason it's tense is because, and here's the other thing, everybody in your church either has a money issue or has had a money issue. So most people would prefer that you speak about something that has nothing to do with them, uh, a.k.a. give them a great history lesson or preach on a theological difference that has been fought about for hundreds of years and never will be reconciled rather than tell them, hey, this is what's going on in your life um, and this is what Jesus said about it and so what are you going to do about it? Before we get into the clip, Perry, who is going to be the catalyst for a church when it comes to embracing change and dealing with money issues. Oh, yeah. Thank, thanks for that softball. It's the senior pastor. I mean, hands down, if if the senior pastor isn't willing to, and the leadership of the church, if they're not willing to lead change, th- then change ain't going to happen. Um, that's why that the senior pastor can't get comfortable. I mean, God didn't call us to be comfortable. And and the and the reason in uh, in regards to money, if the senior pastor is not lead, like you you can't pray that your people would give, but you're, then you're not going to teach on giving. The the one reason I think most pastors, I, I'll give two reasons. Two reasons why most pastors won't preach on giving is number one, they're cowards because when you preach on a sermon on giving, you will get crucified. You will get crucified. People are going to get mad. But um, it's kind of like if you preach a sermon on adultery, the only people that get mad about that sermon are the ones committing adultery. Your people that are faithful in their marriage, they don't get upset. Um, so they're either cowards or, number two, they're robbing God themselves. And so the pastor that is not tithing probably will not preach on tithing. Uh, the pastor that is not generous will probably never preach a message on generosity. Uh, the pastor that is not giving offerings will never preach a message on giving an, giving an offering. And so um, maybe, maybe it's just old, good old-fashioned conviction of the Holy Spirit because of the sin in their own lives. That's good. That's a great place for us to take a second. And let's listen to, again, uh, a part of your message from Unleashed 2009, the first session, in regards to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So the church changed. The church changed. Listen, we've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. It goes on, Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Um, the Bible says, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. I mean, so it went from 3,000 to 5,000. Did they have to make changes? Yes, changes had to be made. Let's keep reading. Acts 4, 32 through 37. I love this because it talks about money. And every one of y'all are talk, like wondering about money right now. How do you get your church to give? You've got to preach on it. People will leave. Just the people aren't giving. I, I mean, the only people when you preach on adultery that get mad. <laughs> Acts four thirty two, um, the Bible says that all the believers were in one heart 
and one mind. No one claimed any of his possessions as his own, but they shared with everything they had with great power. And the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was on them all. Verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who was the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field. Sold a field. He owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Think about the financial changes that took place in the church. When you got 120 people coming, you don't really have that many money problems, do you? Here's the problem. We don't have any money. That's the only problem you have when you have 120 people coming. Now they got people buying lands, selling fields, bringing money to them. They had to make changes, financial changes. And you know who has the hardest time with a church changing as it grows? The staff. I remember when we first started doing POs here at New Spring Church. We had staff running around going, we didn't used to have to do POs. We didn't used to have to do POs. And I got them all in the room. I was like, it's because we used to not have any freaking money. That's why we didn't have to do POs. (laughs) Seriously. See, I remember being in a closet in the fine arts, in the Sullivan Building of Anderson University, counting money. I was back there every week. You say, why? Because I wanted to get paid. That's why. And I would be like, all right, there's Mr. Thompson, and I know he's going to bring $75, and that's what he ties. If somebody, if a tither missed church, I called them. Hey, uh, missed you this week. You going to double up? I mean, I, I didn't even ask if they were sick. See, here's what I know. There's a lot of guys and there's a lot of gals out there when it comes to your church and it growing, you use money as an excuse and you'll come to a facility like this and you'll go, if I had all this, I could grow. Let me ask you a question. You think this dropped out of the freaking sky? (laughs) You think that youth building, we just went out there and prayed about it? Dear God, we'd love a youth building. Dang. I mean, you think (laughs) think that's how it happened? You've got to be willing to make all kinds of changes in your church, including financial changes. Financial changes. Seriously. And, and folks, listen. For those of you that, for, for those of you church planners, for those of you church planners, listen, 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 listen. Don't ever, don't ever let the money drive to the decision. Let the voice of God drive the decision. Because if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And if he said to do it, He will pay for it no matter what the economy looks like. In fact, I think he gets more glory in a bad economy than he does a good economy. So why not do what God called you to do? Harry, if if someone's church isn't growing, what role could a willingness to make a change play in getting a church on track when it comes to growing? Um, You know, Shane, I think some churches don't grow because God wants them to go through a time of, of like, planting again. Um, I think some churches don't grow because God may be trying to take them through a time of refocus. And so I would encourage any pastor whose church is not going through a time of growth to not automatically get bummed about that, but just to begin to seek the Lord and say, all right, God, is this a time where you've given me to catch my breath? I was talking to a church leader um, the other day on the telephone, and he was telling me about his church didn't grow for like 18 months. And he was like, God, what are we doing? Like, what's going on? And after that 18-month period, for no reason at all, the church absolutely exploded. 
And he said he he realized that that 18 months was a time period from God um, where God was pressing into him to make some changes. And those changes that God allowed him to make during a time when the growth slowed down actually resulted in more and more and more people coming to receive Christ. So I would say if the church isn't growing, don't automatically assume um, that it's God's wrath or His judgment. It might actually be His mercy and Him slowing down. The other thing I would say is, you know, God told the Israelites, I'm going to let you go into the land. I'm going to let you occupy the territory, but I'm not going to let you do it too fast because if we did that, you'd kill all the people and there'd be so many wild animals, they would come in and devour you. So I'm going to let you grow as you're able to grow and as you can handle the growth. Um, And so that's the one thing I would say. But on the flip side, I would say a lot of churches are stalled in their growth because um, leaders don't have the the courage to make the changes that they know they need to be made. here's, Here's what's funny. I've never really talked to someone who had the spiritual gift of leadership who was leading in a church that didn't know the change they need to make. It was their inability to actually pull the trigger and make the decision because of fear of man. And the Bible says fear of man's a snare, and so, we, I mean, that's, that's just the way that is. You know, one thing I've heard you say to everybody who's come through your coaching network, Perry, is that your church, speaking to the people in the, in the network, saying your church is one or two changes away from major growth. Yes. And you always tell them, hey, I can't tell you what that is for you, 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 but you probably know. So with that being said, I know that some God does take churches through a period of rebuilding or refining, but let's face it, a lot of church leaders will use that as, a, as an out to not pursue growth right? by new converts and, and all that sort of thing. So what is the thing that you think keeps a leader from making those changes they know they need to make? I think it's fear. I don't think it's I don't think it's a wisdom issue. Once again, um, I've never talked to a church leader that didn't. I mean, that, that was really pursuing the heart of God and, and and saying, "God, this is your church. These are your people." I've never met the guy that didn't know the change that needed to be made. It's it's fear because when you make changes, you've got to be willing to be very, very, very unpopular because there are people in in every church that want things to stay the way they are and. Um, and so I think that's the number one and the number two and the number three and the number four and the number five reason that people, that leaders won't pull the trigger. It's just good old-fashioned fear. Uh, just to give everybody an example of kind of how change plays a role at New Spring, tell us about a change that we made that was a catalyst for us to grow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the, 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 building this building um, that, that the Anderson campus is on, I uh, – you know, we had been portable for, you know, three or four years at the time, and we were really, you know, I was like, man, we're going to be portable forever. We don't need a building to grow, and I was that guy. And um, I don't think you need a building to grow, but I think if God says to build one, you need a building to grow. So anyway, I I was like, man, we're never going to build this building or whatever. And then God laid it on our heart to build a building, like really. And I, that was a change for us because I didn't think we would have a facility for a long time. And then we bought land, and I was like, "Well, we're not going to build something, you know, we're not going to build something extravagant." And then we laid out our detailed plans, and the price came in at eleven point seven million dollars. And so I, I, you know, I crapped my pants basically, and then I tried to figure, you know, and I was like, "Well, that, that's a change. That's a change for us because we said we would never do something like that, but we really did seek the heart of God, and we were like, "All right, well, that's that's what He wants." 
Um, I remember another time that we made a change where we had a pretty large senior management team. We had nine people, and we made the change to go from nine people to five people. Um, that was a highly unpopular decision for four of the people. Um, but it, nonetheless, I mean, all, and all those guys handled it great. I'm just kind of joking. But it, was, it wasn't a very popular decision. It did cause some questions. But at the end of the day, we were able to get more work done. And the, the guys that, that were not on the um, senior management team were able to be freed up to actually do more of the work that God called them to do. So that was, that was just a, a courage thing, really. With that, uh, sp- especially in regards to building this building and moving out here, obviously the subject of money was a big deal that we uh, had to go through uh, figuring out how to pay that $11 million. So, but before we get to any specifics on that, I just want to know why you think preaching on money is such a taboo thing for most preachers? Well, like, like we talked about earlier, it's just either um, they're scared because when you preach on it, they're, you're going to get an email or a blog or whatever. Um, and then, you know, if a pastor's robbing God, he don't, he don't want to talk about it. So I, I just, um, but, but going back, you know, I think the number one reason is fear. I mean, just the number one reasons fear, which is crazy because Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven or hell. 16 out of the 38 parables have to do with, with money. Um, Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if we're going we're, we're gonna to challenge people to follow Jesus with all their heart, then how in the world can we not talk about treasure when Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is? So um, it, it's, it's, I think it's just um, the top five reasons are fear, 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 fear. It's all about fear. Uh, well, speaking, let's talk about us in particular. How often would you say we preach, or you preach, not me, I'm not preaching, you preach a message on money? Um, I do. We work in a series about every year, probably about every other year, um, or every 18 months there's going to be a series on it. And then I rarely go probably three months without a money message being in a series somewhere like you can preach you can preach you can preach a series on hell and work a money message in there you you're if you don't give money you're gonna go to hell or something like that I mean you can just get really creative with it but I I'm gonna work a money message in there and then we do offering prep every week where before we take the offering we don't send someone up to apologize for the fact that we're doing the offering um, and we don't put boxes in the back so people can give if they feel obligated we want the plate to pass in front of them. So if they don't want to give, they can go ahead and decide to extend their middle finger to God and just say, I don't care what you say about giving. This is my attitude towards it. I mean, we at least want them to have that option. So um, I, I just, I just um, what was I talking about? I completely lost my train of thought, and we're not going to edit that out because this is a leadership podcast, and it's completely raw. Um, we were talking about the the frequency with which we. That's on right. Money. We were talking about the frequency. So here's what I got to say about the frequency of how often we talk about money. Um, you got to talk about it. Like you can't get mad at your people for not giving if you're not talking to them about giving. Like that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So, you know, I would say. Um, but then at the end of the day, I would say you need to preach about it as often as God tells you to preach about it. I've had people say, people won't come to a series on money. Well, I mean, you could have fooled us. I mean, every series on money we've done, um, not only has the giving gone up, but we've seen people come to Christ and the attendance didn't suffer. So there you go. That's right. People are searching for freedom in most people's 
barrier to freedom is the grip that dollars have on them. So we've seen a great result with both every week with our tithing and offering prep, and also three or four times a year we're preaching about it. Yes. And so you said earlier that, I mean, Jesus talked about that more than any other topic. Yeah. And so, again, I'm just going to, just to reiterate, I mean, the frequency with which we do it probably sounds like a lot to some who never do it. Yes. But it feels like it's consistent with the with how the script, scripture treats it. Would uh, you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, scripture talks about money so often. There's over uh, there's over 2500 on verses on money and possessions. So like if scripture talks if scripture talks about money that much and a pastor doesn't talk about money that much, then obviously that pastor is not talking about scripture that much. Let's uh, dive into a couple of practical things uh, for the those listening that are at any size church. You mentioned in your in the clip that as the church got larger the financial decisions actually got more complicated and i think the general thought is the smaller the church is the more dire the finance situation is or the less risky the financial situations are how would you compare financial decisions for new spring in 2000 2001 versus say over the last two or three years um they're harder as your church grows the the financial decisions gets harder because you're making a decision in 2000 with hundreds of dollars um, in play. You're making a decision 10 years later with millions of dollars in play. Um, and I've heard people go, well, if you can make the $100 decisions, you can make the million-dollar decisions. Uh, nope. They're both pretty, um, like, if there was a, yeah, if there was a piece of coal in my rear end, there'd be a diamond after some of the, the decisions I've had to make because the pressure gets pretty intense. Um, I, I just, th- th- it doesn't get e- easier. I had a guy, I had a friend named Ron Lewis that said this. Um, he was a church growth consultant that's gone on to be with the Lord now, phenomenal man of God. And I remember him saying to me in 2001, um, if you're following the will of God, your back will always be against the wall financially. And I think that goes for any size church. If you're, if you're following the will of God, um, your back's always going to be against the wall because he wants to bring us to a point of desperation where we're depending on him and not how much money we've got in the bank. Is the excuse of not having enough money ever a right excuse when you know God's asking you to do something? No. No. I mean, that's the thing I would go back to. When you know God is in it and you know God has clearly without, like you would, you would bet your right arm that you just heard from the Lord, uh, then you can't shrink back. You, you just can't. Um, on the flip side, if you think, like, there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. Um, I really don't get some of these church planners today that are starting their churches with a half a million dollar budget, five full-time staff members, and $150,000 worth of sound and lights. Um, if Listen, if God told you to do that, that is awesome. But did God really tell you to do that? Or did you just, you're a pastor and you had four friends you wanted to hire and pay them a salary? I mean, you really, there is a, there is a fine line between faith and stupidity when it comes to finances. But when you know God said to do it, you got to do it. I was going to ask you why is that excuse used so often, but I would bet it's fear. Uh, the top five reasons are fear, 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 and fear. That, that, that would be, and then... The bonus reason would be fear. The bonus reason would be fear. Hey, let's uh, you, in in the clip you mentioned. Don't ever let money drive a decision. And I can say just from being around here for a while and talking to people who've been around forever that that has always been true for New Spring. Like you've never let money drive the decision. 
How did you have such a great conviction of that early on, and how important was that conviction early on to maintaining that as the church grew larger? Well, first of all, vision drives the decision, not money. Vision drives the decision. Um, you, you know, Shane, I, we've had our backs against the wall financially since day one. Um, we, our biggest giver walked before the church even launched officially, and he was given 65% of the budget. And I had to let him walk because, um, and he did it very gracefully and he did it honorably, but n- nonetheless, he, he walked. And that was a crunch time decision. Do we cater to that need or do we, um, d- do we just pursue the vision God's given us? And, you know, God, God said to pursue this vision. And so we let him walk and, you know, nobody like me, because I was the only staff member, I never missed a paycheck and we never missed paying our bills as a church. Um, we hired Lee in May of 2000. In July of 2000, it, the money got very tight, and um, we begged God. I mean, as a staff, I just remember just begging God to intervene, and the giving in July increased by about 50 to 75%, and that doesn't happen in July in church. Like, people give their tithe the Mickey Mouse. They don't, they don't bring it to the house of God, and so to see that happen in the church was just an amazing, and I've got story after story after story of how God just just blew our minds with just great gifts and radical gifts because we said yes to the vision. I mean, like where in the Bible, where in the Bible did God say, here's your plan and here's all the money to pay for it? God was like, you go do this. And as they went, um, their faith was rewarded. So I, th- I mean, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible. In the Greek, that word impossible means impossible. So I, I just think that when God says to do it, you got to go. And by the way, if it wasn't God and you just had a great pizza the night before, you'll figure it out because um, you'll go bankrupt. And so so what? If that happens, then try it again and you'll know next time. That's right. No, no pressure out there. Uh, before we, we check out for this uh, podcast, Perry, I just want to give you an opportunity again to speak to those leaders who are listening. And we've covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time, and I'm sure we'll address these subjects again. But I want you to speak to the leader who's listening and really struggling with making a change that he or she knows they need to make and or money issues. And I bet a lot of those are tied together. Yeah. So what would you say to those guys listening? I would say with 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 change, you've got to be you've got to pull the trigger on the change. Um, that's why you're the leader. Um, you've got to quit praying that somebody else will see the need for change and then they'll do it and then you'll look good because of it or bad. Um, you've got to quit. Tr- God, please change this. The reason you're the leader is because God has trusted you to steward the responsibility to lead that church. And so, if there's a change that needs to be made. You just need to have the courage to make that change because um, here, here's the deal. Somebody's going to lead your church. It might as well be the person that God has called and equipped and empowered to do it, which would be you, which is why you're the leader. So I would say that would, that would be the biggest thing um, is, is make that change because what looks like a humongous change right now that absolutely scares the heebie-jeebies out of you, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Like David... Um, had to go fight the lion and the bear, and to him those were really big deals. Um, but when he got in the valley with Goliath, he was like, "Oh yeah, the lion and the bear. God, kind of wish those guys were back around." Um, so that's what I would say about change: is please don't let fear 
Um, yeah, or let me back up. Yeah, let fear. Let fear of the Lord drive your change. Fear the Lord more than you fear anything else. Like, like run this through your mind. If I don't make this change, God might kill me. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that'll, that'll motivate you to make a change. Um, and, and ultimately, the Bible says in Hebrews that leaders are going to stand before God and be held accountable for the changes that we did or did not make. Um, that's the whole fear of the Lord thing. The other thing I would tell you in far, as far as money issues as I would tell pastors and church leaders, um, the first thing you got to do is get your financial house in order. Like you've got to tithe, and you've got to get out of debt, and you got to do whatever it takes to do those things. Um, one of the one of the things that I've managed to do right, and I think one of my strengths <laughs> is I get up on stage and I tell the church how often I screw up, and it just makes everybody feel like they can relate to me because you know my pastor's a moron. If we had a bumper sticker, that's what the the, they would say, but one of the areas I think I've got down is this area of giving, um, and it's because in 1999 I surrendered my finances to the Lord. I began to tithe, and Lucretia and I got aggressive about getting out of debt. And when we got married, we had over a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt with no car. I mean, um, no house. We did have a car, um, but I, I just did. I was like, I want to get out of debt. And so when you don't owe. Um, American Express or MasterCard or Discover or Visa, and and to the point that we're, we like we don't even have a car payment. Um, the only thing we owe on is the house. You can get in front of your people and speak with tremendous freedom and uh, tremendous just ability to kind of cast vision and tell your people you don't you don't have to be in debt. Like Jesus died to set you free, um, but he said died to set you free from every area. And here's here's the cool thing. If you follow what the scriptures say about money, there's no reason to be stressed out about money, ever. If you follow what the scriptures say, so you. And the other thing I would say in regards to money is teach your people this stuff with confidence. Don't apologize. We don't apologize when we preach on adultery. All right, now I'm preaching on adultery. Now, for those of you that are screwing around, we're really sorry about that. We know you're going to get offended today. Like, you don't say that. You get up and go, we're preaching on adultery. You need to knock that stuff off. Well, that's the way it is with money. We preach on money, and I'm like, if I'm not going to apologize for it. The days of apologizing for the offering is over. Hey, that's some strong stuff. And uh, we're out of time, so we're going to have to wind down this leadership podcast. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Join us next month when we'll be talking about something in regards to leadership. See you then.